Hey, and welcome to the Boise Coffee Podcast, Episode 7. It has been over a month since I have put up a new podcast episode, which is really not fair because I had a Part 1 episode last time. And so today I'm going to bring you to Part 2, but I promise that the wait has not been uh, for nothing. I actually got married in the meantime and have since done a honeymoon and got settled into a new house and all kinds of stuff. So I should be back into the podcasting world uh, moving forward. Uh, I'm your host, Colin Mansfield, and I run BoiseCoffee.org. been running uh, this coffee blog for about six years now and decided to do this podcast as a way to discuss all things coffee, uh, whether it's just current events and news or uh, brewing techniques, brewing methods, that kind of stuff. Last episode, I talked about Keurig and specifically the Keurig 2.0 system, what it means for coffee. Um, I sort of gave a background of Keurig and I talked about how it's sort of a a mixture of the social network meets the first 20, 30 minutes of Fight Club, how uh, it kind of starts with, you know, typical college kids wanting to do a startup company sort of thing. And it ended with this company called Green Mountain, a coffee company, buying Keurig, eventually Keurig uh, becoming what we know it as today, which is a massive multi-million dollar company that has as much stake in homes as it does in offices, both in the United States and abroad. Of course, the U.S. is its biggest market. And so today and this week, I would like to talk about the environmental impact of Keurig. Um, I talked about the story and I talked about the math last week got kind of into the weeds. So if you want to know whether or not it's worth buying a Keurig and the K-Cup system, you can listen to that episode and I promise you uh, it is not worth it. But as I said this week, we're going to talk about the environmental impact. This week, our story is going to pick back up in 2010. This was after Green Mountain had already bought out Keurig and they were experiencing this huge wave of of success uh, because the K-Cup was starting to become ubiquitous. Uh, The New York Times ran an article, this is in 2010, and it was titled A Coffee Conundrum. Um, This was really the first critical look at Keurig and their environmental practices. And basically, the article deals with, you can look it up, but the article deals with how, uh, at the time, K-Cups and other similar single-brew coffee pods were neither recyclable or reusable. So I'm going to read you a quote from that article that I think really uh, best kind of sums it up. The author said, more than 80% of Green Mountain's $803 million in sales last year came from non-recyclable, non-biodegradable, single-use coffee pods and their brewing systems. This year, the company expects to sell nearly 3 billion K-cups, the plastic and tinfoil pods that are made to be thrown away, filter, grounds and all, after one use. Now, these numbers are wild, right? And this article, as I said, was written in 2010, about five years ago. Spoiler alert. Keurig still hasn't given us a way to recycle K-cups. So those numbers have only gone up. But the crazy part isn't that Keurig won't give us a way to recycle these pods. It's that they can't. Because the nature of the K-cup is that there is foil and plastic. And when hot water, extremely hot water, goes through these two things, the foil basically molds to the plastic. And it's really difficult to find a way to seal these pods and avoid that whole situation. So before Keurig 2.0 was announced, 
back when around the time this article was written, Keurig had this thing called the My K-Cup reusable K-Cup. So basically all it was was a little basket that you could put into your machine. You could pack it full of whatever coffee you wanted, whatever grind size you wanted, and press the normal brew button, and the Keurig would use your coffee to brew with. And it avoided the whole recyclability issue. So back then, people would kind of use that as a way, well, you know, you don't have to buy the K-Cup, so I'm still going to buy a the Keurig brewing system. I'm just going to use the My K-Cup thing. But the problem is you're not ever going to use that exclusively, right? If you're going to buy a product, you're probably also going to have some coffee pods on hand. So although it it sort of mitigated that problem and provided a defense for people using it so they didn't have to feel bad, it didn't solve the problem altogether. And Keurig really didn't want everybody to go out and buy these My K-Cup things. They just wanted it to be an option. So now fast forward to when Keurig 2.0 was announced. And if you want to know more about the whole situation around Keurig 2.0, the patent issues and all that, listen to part one because I go into excruciatingly minute detail in that. (laughs) But basically what Keurig was doing is they were trying to reserve the right to use their product. Their patents expired and other companies, third-party companies were making Keurig-esque K-cups to be used. They were selling them to undercut Keurig and make a profit. In order to cut out the competition completely, Keurig created this Keurig 2.0 system, which basically had DRM, for lack of a better way to put it, digital rights management, something like that, on the coffee pods. It was a barcode that this new system could read and you know tell what how hot the water should be and uh, what the grind size was and all that kind of stuff. And oh, by the way, you can't use other coffee pods whether third-party or original Keurig coffee pods on the new system. It had to have the barcode. And what this meant is that the My K-Cup thing also went away. You couldn't use your own coffee in a generic basket anymore. You had to use the coffee pods. So between when Keurig 2.0 was announced and early May of 2015, Keurig actually had a huge problem on their hands, and they didn't expect it to happen. So not only did was Keurig 2.0 getting a lot of bad press just for having this kind of DRM on food thing. Tech websites were covering it, analysis were covering it, trying to determine you know would the, would Keurig, this king of coffee, supposedly take a take a financial hit from this controversial system. But actually, people were most mad, or rather, consumers were most mad that the my cake up thing went away, and this I think really surprised Keurig. And in early May, this is when a lot of new articles were coming out, Keurig actually decided to take a step back and kind of reverse their position and allow these generic My K-Cup things to be used. The reason why? It's because their sales dropped 23%. 23%. That's crazy. There were so many people that wanted to use their own coffee in Keurig machines that they stopped buying K-Cups altogether. And it made the company have to backpedal and kind of reverse their decision. Now, was this public outcry having to do with recyclability and being green? Maybe partially. I don't, I don't think it was 100% that. But what it does show is that consumers want a choice. They want the choice to be able to use their own coffee to, you know, if they're composters, they can use the coffee grounds in their compost. Or maybe they just don't want to be as wasteful and they don't want to have to throw away a bunch of plastic. Or maybe they just want to use their own coffee, the coffee that whether it's from the store down the road or it's Starbucks or whatever, they just want to use what they want to use. They don't want to have to pay a premium to use it, which is what you pay if you use K-cups. But whatever the case, consumers spoke. 
23% sales drop and Keurig listened and they backstepped. Now, what is Keurig doing today to fix this recyclability issue? So I've actually been keeping tabs on this for a while, and I've been trying to find the answer to this for some time. I've been watching the Keurig website. I wrote a short little diatribe and posted it on my blog, and then I did an updated one when some more information about Keurig was released after the holiday season last year. And back in the early part of 2015, in their Frequently Asked Questions section, Keurig wrote this, The challenge of protecting the freshness of roasted coffee while using environmentally friendly packaging is one that both Keurig and the coffee industry are committed to overcoming. We're very sensitive about the waste created by the K-Cup packs and are investigating alternative materials. Finding a solution for this is a priority for us and one we hope to have before long. So nothing. Basically, it's been five years since Keurig really took off and they really came under fire for this whole recyclability issue and they haven't done a thing. Now, more recently, I went back on their website and I kind of wanted to see what, you know, what they've been doing, if they've kind of changed their rhetoric or if this sort of same thing applies. They actually, they posted something a little bit newer and their goal now is to have 100% of all K-Cups recyclable by 2020. You get the idea, right? That's in five more years. By then, it will have been a decade of waste. A complete decade. And that's crazy. If back in 2010, when the New York Times ran that article, and they said $803 million came from these single-use coffee pods that are non-recyclable, non-biodegradable, that was in 2010. How much money do you think Keurig's made since then? And how much will they make in the next five years? To me, thinking about that is wild. So I want to bring this whole narrative full circle, and I want to go back to John Sylvan. I started with his story. He was sort of the visionary behind Keurig. talked about that in part one of this podcast episode. And I want to bring it back to him. So in a recent article that The Atlantic did, I think earlier this year, they interviewed John Sylvan. They asked him about the waste. One of the statistics that I read was in 2013, Green Mountain sold enough K-Cups to circle the earth 10.5 times. And what John Sylvan said after, uh, of course, he, he exited the company, a quick refresher, he exited the company in like 1997, and this was before Keurig really exploded and took off. And he really didn't envision this kind of waste. He had no idea that Keurig was going to take off in the way that it did. And actually, in this, the interesting thing is in this Atlantic article, as he was being interviewed, he said, I don't have one. They're kind of expensive to use. Plus, it's not like drip coffee is tough to make. This guy doesn't even have one in his house. It's kind of it's kind of crazy to think about that. All that to say is that Keurig has changed a lot. Right? It started off as being as being envisioned by John Sylvan to be sort of the go-to thing in an office, in a workplace, something to be used while you're at work because you don't have very much time, you're in between the copier and your desk or whatever. Ended up really finding its home in the home. And since then, it's become the go-to coffee maker for most people today, at least in the United States. So all in all, today, Keurig is not so different as it was five years ago, really eight years ago, in that it's still a disposable, non-reusable, non-recyclable, single-serving coffee pod used to brew one cup of coffee, doesn't use enough coffee per pod, to brew a satisfactory 12-ounce cup of coffee, as I discussed in the last podcast episode. And it's really overpriced and expensive. If that's what you're into, if you're into something that 
is bad for the environment, is expensive, and doesn't give you a very good cup of coffee. Keurig is 100% for you. But I think for most of us, if we actually kind of take a step back and look at it, it's pretty obvious that it's really not a very good option. Now, I get it. As I sort of prefaced in my original episode, I'll kind of end with this. I get it. I understand that there are people in certain walks of life and in certain situations where the Keurig may be the best or the only option for them. I understand. If your office has a Keurig coffee machine, maybe you're not going to buy your own and bring it because it's too easy to just use theirs. Or maybe you have a bunch of people over or a bunch of people living in your house that all like different kinds of coffee. And so it makes more sense to have something with a lot of different options than it does to buy one coffee brewer and have everybody kind of brew their own separately and it take forever. I understand that. I get it. However, you have to stop and ask yourself the question, at what point does ease of use overtake both reliability, sustainability, and ultimately price in your mind? For some people, maybe ease of use is the top factor, but I think for most of us, if we actually look at the statistics, look at the facts, we'll see that Keurig really isn't that great of an option. I've probably beaten a dead horse by now. You get it. I don't like Keurig. I don't like K-Cups. But if you are still interested or you do want to read more, or maybe you just want to see the numbers rather than listen to them, or you want to see some of the stuff I talked about today, the environmental impact and that kind of stuff, you can go to my blog. Just Google Keurig or Google K-Cup, hashtag kill the K-Cup, whatever you want to do. It'll come up on my blog. You can check out some of my posts. That website is boisecoffee.org. Also, if you're interested in starting a discussion or engaging me about this type of stuff, or you just want to yell at me and tell me how Keurig is the best, you can hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at Boise Coffee. If you like this episode, you like this podcast, I'd appreciate a review. SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you found this podcast, a review would be awesome. Leave you with this little fun fact. Earlier this month, Keurig announced a partnership with Campbell's Soup. So if you really want to get your soup on, maybe that's the best way to do it. Just kidding. Those cups are still non-recyclable. Don't do it.